Thank you, Shepherds Class, again, for leading us in worship and inviting us to join you. It's awesome. Uh, I got a call last night from our acting senior pastor, and he's Jeff Matisich, and he said that, some, that due to something that had occurred last evening, he was not going to be able to be here to share our message this morning, but he called friend, colleague, fellow church member, Dr. Kara Powell, and asked her if she could take his place. I got to know Kara quite a while ago. For those of you who don't know Dr. Kara Powell, she was uh, our college pastor director. She helped pioneer an alternative worship service, which became known as Warehouse, and really shaped many movements around the country. Dr. Kara Powell, when I get to the fancy stuff, was named by Christianity Today, and I love this. One of the 50 women you need to know. <laughs> I, I think the thing she's probably proudest most is that here at Lake, she met her husband Dave on a short-term mission to Slovenia. They've got three kids. Dr. Kara Powell, faculty at Fuller Theological Seminary. She's the director of the Fuller Youth Institute. Um, she's got more books than I could possibly describe to you in this moment. But more than anything else, in her vice presidency and leadership, at, uh, the leadership formation at Fuller, more than anything else, I would say this about Dr. Kara Powell. She has a deep heart for raising up the next generation, discipling in a way that says this is what following Jesus needs to look like today and tomorrow based on where we've been faithfully. So would you please welcome one of our own, on very short notice, Dr. Kara Powell. Um, 
As, as Scott said, I met my husband Dave at a Lake Avenue short-term missions trip. We got engaged on a Lake Avenue short-term missions trip. We bought our first house on a Lake Avenue short-term missions trip. Now, let me be clear, it wasn't all the same trip, okay? That was three different trips spread over a number of years, but serving is in our DNA. And when we hear of crises like Haiti and Afghanistan, as we hear about what our nation and our world are going through when it comes to racial division, when we hear about how all of us are being affected by the pandemic, we pray, and we not only pray, but we send ourselves and we send our resources. But now before we get too quick to pat ourselves on the back, we need to look at this penetrating scripture verse, Micah 6, six through eight. Now I wanna give you a bit of background. In the first five chapters of Micah six, the prophet Micah, he is speaking as the Lord and the setting is a trial. And the Lord is the judge and the prosecutor. The hills and mountains are the jury and charges are being brought against the people of Israel. And the charges are Israel, you are not grateful. You have forgotten, you've forgotten all the ways that I have delivered you. So after this stunning indictment against Israel, Micah then speaks, switches positions and speaks for the people of Israel. Please stand for the reading of God's word in Micah 6, 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord? and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So let's unpack this passage together. Clearly, clearly, God believes that Israel is in the wrong. They are not grateful. They think that God has somehow burdened them, but the reality is God has lightened their burden. So imagine being Israel and hearing this charge. You have a few options at this point. You can deny or you can bargain. And Israel chooses to bargain. Let's look at verse six. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? It's like Israel's thinking, how can we appease God? We're used to sacrifices, right? The God of the Old Testament. We know that sacrifices are important to God. And God expects them. And so the people of Israel, they start rather small with their sacrifices, with the way that they're bargaining, but then they get more and more dramatic. Verse six continues, shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Now, for any of us who are a little rusty on our Old Testament calf values, Calves that were a year old, they are the most valuable calves. So it's like Micah is saying that Israel is coming and saying, can we bring you something of high quality? And then Israel 
turns to a different bargaining strategy, from quality to quantity. Verse 7, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Now, rams and olive oil are costly sacrifices. So it's like Israel is thinking, okay, if we sacrifice a large quantity, then maybe that will appease the Lord. Then Micah, speaking again as Israel, tries an even more dramatic tactic. Verse 7 continues, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of of my body for the sin of my soul. Now, when I was in college, I was heavily involved in an intervarsity chapter on campus. And we actually had a song that was called Micah 6, 6 through 8. So I have sung this scripture passage too many times to count. I have read over it so many times. When Dave and I took our three kids to Brazil on a, on a short-term mission trip with Compassion International, this verse was our theme verse. But last night, it was like the Holy Spirit showed me something new in verse 7. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? Parents, step-parents, guardians, grandparents, I want you to think about getting to a place where you're so desperate to appease God that you're willing to offer your firstborn. And those of you who are not parents, I want you to think about somebody important to you, maybe somebody younger, a niece, a nephew, a neighbor, somebody here at this church, somebody that you're mentoring. You get to that place where you think, I so need to satisfy, to bargain with God for these charges that have been leveled against me that I'm willing to offer my firstborn. Israel is saying, we'll give anything even what costs us the most. In verse 8, arguably the apex, the climax of this passage, one of the best summaries of the law in the Old Testament, in fact, the rabbis who commented on this verse in the early centuries called it a one-line summary of the whole law. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? It's like God is saying, what you give is important, but first give me your heart. It's like God is saying, it's not about the externals, it's about the internals. It's like God is saying, it's not about what you have, it's about what you do and who you are. And to help us get even more specific in that, there are three verb phrases that we're going to study today. The first, we are to act justly. We are to act justly. When I realized last night that Micah 6, 6 through 8 was the passage for today, my first thought was, oh good, I love this passage. And then honestly, my second thought was, oh, but wow, we're going to talk about justice. Justice is a controversial word among Christians today. There's a continuum. And let's just hypothetically say on the right side of the continuum. There are those who think that justice has been co-opted for a progressive agenda it's been stretched beyond what God intends it to be. And then on the other side, let's just hypothetically say the left, 
are those who say the word justice has been shrunk too small and it has become toothless and it has lost its meaning. Now, part of what I love about this church is that all points of the continuum, both extremes and everybody in between, we're here together today. It's part of the beauty of this church, but it's also part of the challenge of this church to really listen and empathize with each other and understand. And so what I wanna invite all of us to today is regardless of how you think the world is handling the term justice, can we stack hands on how scripture describes justice? Can we be people who say, more important than what we hear on the news or from any pundits is what we hear from God's word? Yeah, we can clap for that. If we can clap for in and out we can clap for God's word, right? So Jeff Matisich graciously shared his notes with me, and so what I'm gonna share now is kind of a hybrid of his notes and my notes as we think about justice. First, when we look at what is a biblical understanding of justice, how do we get a biblical size, a biblical definition, a biblical description for justice? First, we need to know that justice is in the Bible. By some counts, it's in the Bible over 143 times. It's mentioned in scripture. So it's a word that is important to our faith. There is such a thing as biblical justice. I'm not willing to give up that word. I just want it to be defined as God wants it defined. So let's try to do that with point number two. Biblical justice is restoring what God intended all along. Now, I've had the privilege of doing some study on justice, and my favorite definition of justice is restoring God's kingdom, shalom. Now, we often translate shalom as peace, and that's a very valid translation, but we tend to think of that as kind of an individual subjective peace, as in uh, the absence of anxiety. And that's part of it, but when it comes to justice, when it comes to restoring God's kingdom shalom, here's what Nicholas Wolsterstorff from Yale writes. The state of shalom is the state of flourishing in all dimensions of one's existence, in one's relation to God, in one's relation to one's fellow human being, in one's relation to nature, and in one's relation to oneself. Evidently, justice has something to do with the fact that God's love for each and every one of God's human creatures takes the form of God desiring the shalom of each and every one. So my favorite definition, restoring what God intended all along, restoring holistic flourishing. Now, I love working with teenagers and young adults and especially with teenagers, that definition is, can be a little complicated. So the way that I abbreviate it for teenagers is we're righting wrongs. We're being used by God to right wrongs. And let me tell you, Lake Avenue Church, young people in this church and in our country and our world, they are leading us forward in righting wrongs. I had a chaplain at a college tell me recently, as he looked at what happens with his students and how involved they are in service and justice, he said, you know, it feels like if you're a college sophomore and you haven't started your own nonprofit, you're kind of behind. <laughs> this generation wants to be involved in purposeful, transformative work. 
And by the way, I love that these are our college students and young adults sitting right here. They, they yeah, we can clap for them too. So I happened to use the restroom over there before the service and I kind of made my way through y'all. They are a lively group. We have a lively, dynamic ministry happening with our college students and young adults. And same with our middle school and high school students. Our high school students were involved in righting wrongs this summer in Houston. We sent a team and many of you financially supported and prayed for this team that spent a week in Houston this group of high school students, they met with community organizers. They met with nonprofit leaders. They met with government officials. They met with the chief of police to try to understand the wrongs that are happening in Houston and what it means to right them. And then they spent a week rolling up their sleeves and acting justly, restoring God's kingdom shalom. They were involved in a day camp for under-resourced kids. They helped single moms and grandmas who were functioning as moms with their grandkids. They cleaned out a cemetery. They ran a VBS. They dove into a soccer clinic. Now, most of the work they did was outside. And Houston is an awesome city. If you're from Houston, it's a great city. Dave and I, our oldest, Nathan, is in college in Houston right today. But somebody's told me before that being in Houston in the summer is like being inside someone's mouth. <laughs> and our high school students served in that 80% plus humidity, 95 degree plus temperature. They were righting wrongs. And in fact, they were so transformed by that time in Houston that now Perry and Julia, who lead our high school ministry, they're trying to figure out, okay, how do, we, how do we leverage this energy? How do we mobilize our teenagers to serve even more? Because now our teenagers, they want to be even more involved in righting wrongs locally. So the biblical definition of justice, I would say, it's restoring God's kingdom shalom. It's righting wrongs. Point number three, God loves justice. Let's look together at Psalm 11:7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. Jesus confronted the authorities in Jerusalem and the Pharisees and the wealthy 40 times in the Gospels for their failure to be just. In Luke 4, when Jesus goes to the temple, the synagogue, and unrolls the scroll and reads from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Still not convinced? I wanna help us understand something that's been very eye-opening to me in the New Testament. And that is, the use of the Greek word dikaiosune. Dikaiosune. In general, this Greek word in the Gospels and the Epistles is translated as righteousness. And that is indeed a valid translation of the word. But there's another translation. Dikaiosune also means God's rule, God's justice. And so let's look at just quickly a few passages in the Sermon of the Mount and think about this definition for dikaiosune. In Matthew 5, 6, Jesus 
teaches, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for dikaiosune, for they will be filled. You're probably used to that being blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, as am I. But we can substitute justice there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Similarly, Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his dikaiosune. Sure, righteousness fits there, but so does justice. And all these things will be given to you. Our God loves justice. Point number four in this first verb of acting justly. Biblical justice is consistently concerned for the most vulnerable and least powerful. God wants us to take care of the poor and the powerless. God wants us to take care of the lost and the least of these. God wants us to take care of those who have been excluded and exploited. In a world that proclaims me first, God wants us to take care of those who end up last. And the good news is we at Lake Avenue, we are already doing this. We are serving and involved in concern for the vulnerable and least powerful globally through our missionaries, our international staff, through the way that we pray and we give. We're involved locally through Door of Hope, through working for racial justice, through being mindful and paying special attention to those who are incarcerated, to those who are homeless, to those who are immigrants, and to our local public schools. STARS is particularly near and dear to me STARS is formerly the Lake Avenue Foundation, founded over 20 years ago and a longtime community partner. STARS was already living out justice, serving among some of the most vulnerable in Pasadena before the pandemic hit. Once the pandemic hit, they knew they needed to listen even more closely to the community, to roll up their sleeves even further and be part of restoring God's kingdom shalom. They quickly realized that our neighbors, especially north of the freeway, they were some of the first ones to lose their jobs because of the pandemic. Many are frontline workers. And so they had their jobs, but they had to report to work even in situations that didn't feel particularly safe. And they were exposed to COVID more than average. So STARS pivoted to not just be about mentoring and homework help, but to add food distribution to how they are righting wrongs and caring for the most vulnerable. Over the last 17 months, a number of churches and corporations and individuals, including some of you, have volunteered and donated for the food distribution through STARS. STARS has been serving a high of over 270 people a week, been feeding giving them food for the week during this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Nancy Stiles, the executive director of STARS, is a dear friend of mine. And she says, you know, STARS families have always been grateful for STARS, but it's like it's hit a new level. And she says the parents, the grandparents, who thank her and the other volunteers, tears in their eyes for the food that they need to make it through the week. And in the true spirit of justice, these STARS families, they eat what they need, but then they're passing on any extras to their neighbors, to their friends, to their family members, so that other people are taken care of also. 
Over 60 volunteers have been part of this food distribution effort. Many of you are in this room or part of Lake Avenue watching online. Grand total, those 60 volunteers have served over 1,800 hours during the pandemic for food distribution. Our family are five of those 60 volunteers. It was our kids' idea to start serving every week at STARS when the pandemic hit, every Thursday at three. And we started by being involved in food distribution, but then the needs of STARS shifted and while others were involved in food distribution, we became in charge of cleaning the STARS facility every week. So if we could put that picture back up, please. I saw that you had the picture back up. That would be great, please. You can see all five of us masked showing up after food distribution is done. You can see those long metal tables is where, is where the food is organized so that it can be delivered in bags to families who show up at STARS or delivered in cars. This has been one of the highs of the pandemic for us is to be able to serve together and we feel safe. We're doing it after hours, we're wearing masks. However old you are, however vulnerable you feel or don't feel toward the pandemic, there are so many ways that we can be involved in caring for the most vulnerable and those who are marginalized as God wants. So in addition to acting justly, we're gonna look more quickly at the other two verb phrases in Micah 6, 8. The second verb is we are to love mercy. We are to love mercy. Now the word for mercy, the Hebrew word is hesed, which translated is loving kindness. So literally, we are to love loving kindness. As we are involved in justice work, we need to be involved relationally, not from a distance, not just hashtagging justice. Don't let that be a placebo for being really involved in relationship. It's about being involved people to people and the image of God in us being part of seeing the image of God in others fully realized and activated and empowered. So the prophet Micah sets up this horizontal element to justice. As we act justly, we are to love kindness. And then the third verb, it's not just horizontal, but it's vertical. We act justly, we love mercy, and we walk humbly with our God. Now beyond just Micah, the Old Testament prophets are fairly brutal about those of us who worship without also being involved in justice. I could read a number of passages, but I'm just gonna read Isaiah 1, 15 to seven as an example. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. See, true seeking of the Lord, true intimacy with our Lord is going to lead us to want to seek justice, to take up the cause of the fatherless, to take up the cause of those who are different ethnicity or race than we are, different social location, to take up the cause of the widow and those who are marginalized. We cannot separate relationship with God 
from righting wrongs for those who are made in God's image. This has been a hard week for our world. I'm so glad, Scott, we spent that extended time in prayer. It felt really good to pray together for these crisis areas around our world. And maybe like me, as you've seen the headlines, you've wondered, why would God allow this kind of suffering? I don't have a foolproof answer to that. I have a PhD in practical theology and I can't definitively answer that question. It's a tough question. But I wanna pair that question with a, a, a convicting statement from Gary Haugen, the president of International Justice Mission, who actually spoke here at Lake Avenue probably about 20 years ago. He wrote this, over time, I have come to see questions about suffering in the world, not so much as questions about God's character, but as questions about the obedience and faith of God's people. I wanna read that again. Over time, I have come to see questions about suffering in the world, not so much as questions about God's character, but as questions about the obedience and faith of God's people. Please keep asking why in weeks like this. We need to do that. We need to be thoughtful. We need to study God's word. We need to be prepared to answer those questions in love, but let's pair that why question with the question of what. What? will our obedience and faith look like in a day like this, in a week like this, in a month like this. As the worship team comes, I wanna return us to our core value of being a reconciling community, pursuing God's justice, mercy, and compassion we are involved in his ministries of reconciliation. As I was reading and preparing last night, I thought, gosh, should I give some suggestions to all of us, things we can tangibly do? That's what I would typically do in a talk like this, in a sermon like this. And, you know, I would say if, if you're a, if you're a student or if you're a supervisor or if you're a stay-at-home parent or if you're a grandparent or if you're single and, and you know, throw out some possible ways forward. But I didn't feel like I was supposed to do that today. I felt like instead I was supposed to say this. As the worship team leads us in this next song, I'm gonna be on the front row praying, God, what am I supposed to do with this text? What does it look like for me to act justly, to love kindness, to walk more humbly with you? And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to me, even during this next song, so that I'll know what tangible steps I need to take, how I need to be different because of this passage. And I want to invite you to do the same to pray and say, God, what is it that you have to say to me out of this passage? How do you want me to live, give, sacrifice, love differently in whatever context I'm in, whatever relationships I'm in because of this passage? And then by God's grace, by God's grace, may we have the strength to indeed move forward as we feel the spirit leading. Why don't we stand together as we sing and hopefully pray, and the Holy Spirit speaks.
Dr. Kara, thank you. Would you join me in thanking her for opening God's word for us today? I'm reminded afresh and anew that walking humbly, <laughs> loving mercy and acting justly is not easy. This week, as you go into your week, as we go into our week individually and corporately, may you go with a renewed commitment wherever you are in this building or at grace distance to be those kind of people. Benediction just means simply good words. I was driving down Lake Avenue today on the way to service, and one of our 
fellow churches in the community on their signboard said, may grace and peace be yours this summer. Next weekend, Sunday right after the service is our congregational meeting. As we prepare for that, I offer those same words that some fellow believers in the community offered to me as I was driving south today on Lake. As you go from this place, may grace and peace be yours this week and forevermore. In the name of Jesus, amen.